0: First we go to West Cork where a rescue operation is underway after a Dutch tall ship called the Astrid started taking on water.
1: On the 24th of July 2013, a beautiful 100-year-old tall ship called the Astrid went up on the rocks off the coast of Kinsale.
2: The most challenging and complex rescue we've ever faced. That's how the director of the Coast Guard described yesterday's operation to rescue...
1: It was one of the most difficult rescues ever conducted in Irish waters. 30
0: people were on board. The RNLI and Valencia Coast Guard are at the scene.
1: It was a big news story, but behind the news story, there was a personal story. A man who lost his beloved ship. And that loss was also felt by so many people in this part of the world. The crew, all the people who came to a rescue on that summer's day three years ago. My name is Donald Hayes and I'm from the small, historical, maritime town of Kinsale in County Cork. I grew up like the water rat in the wind of the willows, believing there is nothing, absolutely nothing, half so much worth doing as messing about in boats. I sailed, I joined the lifeboats, and became addicted to the sea. Kinsale is full of addicts like me. Today I'm standing in another maritime town, Hoes in Zeeland, which is in the southwest of Holland. The street furniture is made up of lampposts from old ships' masts, and old anchors are cemented into the ground never again to move. We are four meters below sea level. Zeeland means sealand. I'm here to meet a man called Peter de Cam. Peter is coming here to meet me and I'm in two minds about meeting him. On one level, he's probably responsible for an accident that, that resulted in one of the biggest and most complex marine rescues in years in Ireland, putting many lives at risk. And for that, I think he must be held culpable. On the other hand, I'm going to meet a man who has lost everything. The asteroid was his home, his business, his life. Hello. And alongside that, he's lost his credibility. Peter! How are you doing, man? He's lost his good name as a skipper, and that's just as important. Good morning, is that yes. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. Good morning. Peter is in his 60s now. Up until 15 years ago, he was an architect. But his love of the sea took over, and he went looking for a boat that he could start a new business from, sail training.
3: And then I said, okay, now I go for ever to sea. That is my big passion. And that is now about 12, 13 years ago.
1: Up until July 2013, Peter was known as Captain to Cam. He was a captain of a gracious, striking and lovely tall ship called the Astrid. When did you
3: first see the Astrid? A long time ago. I found her the internet.
1: The Astrid was built almost 100 years ago in the Netherlands. And at 137 feet long, she was a most impressive looking boat.
3: I saw the sails, 17 sails on. It's a square rigger, of course. I love uh, square riggers.
1: Previous to this, she had had a chequered history. During the 1970s, she sailed under a Lebanese flag and allegedly was used for drug smuggling. She was being shadowed by Her Majesty's customs and excise in the English Channel when she mysteriously caught fire. She was then found abandoned and burnt to a shell. In the 1980s, she was transferred to British ownership, completely restored and dedicated by Princess Anne in 1989 and was being used as a luxury passenger vessel. When Peter first came across her, he didn't initially buy her. Tall ships like this are not cheap and they can cost anything up to three quarters of a million euro, but he did join the crew for sailing trips. And on one trip, he found out how seaworthy the Astrid was.
3: The last trip was from Vigo, Spain. Then we're coming in a very big storm in November with snow and ice. And, and then I learned that Aesthet is a very good sailing ship. Very nice to sail.
1: Peter is an experienced sailor. He was unfazed by bad conditions. It's <laughs>
3: absolutely not scary. It's real fun.
1: And that sealed the deal.
3: And then I thought, okay, that is a ship for me, I can play with her. And I was in love with her, of course.
1: Peter gave up his office job and decided to live his dream of a life on the sea. He would buy the Astrid and sail the world, passing on his knowledge and love of the sea to young people on this old square river. He did this with his wife for 12 years. Their idyllic life on the sea took them from the Caribbean to North America and the Med.
2: Tall ship voyage for 15 to 25 year olds. Project title The Gathering at Sea.
1: Then, after many, many trips, they advertised for a trip that would take in the south coast of Ireland.
2: 14th to the 28th of July. €495 Euro for two full weeks on board. I first heard about the Astrid, it was like a Facebook pop-up thing. So if you're interested, please let us know immediately by clicking the button at the top right of this mail. You know, on the side of Facebook it has ads for adventure holidays and things. Christopher Hopcraft from Ballincollig in Cork
1: didn't have any sailing experience, who was drawn in by an ad he saw on the internet for an Irish voyage on the Astrid.
2: No experience is needed. Don't be fooled, this isn't a holiday. Be prepared to pull the ropes, set the sails, scrub the deck, keep watch at all hours of day and night. A tall ship voyage truly is a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Hugely beneficial to young people to develop life skills and broaden their horizons.
1: Christopher was 19 at the time.
2: It was a two-week holiday sailing from England over to Ireland and then down to the north of France. It had something for everyone, a training vessel or a new sort of holiday experience. From the second you see the boat, it's kind of an awestruck moment of just, it's a brand new experience.
1: The 30 crew members of the ship included three permanent crew members, Captain Peter de Cam, and 24 trainees aged between 15 and 25 from Ireland, the Netherlands, France, Belgium and Spain.
2: I went on my own, but... When we first all kind of met, it was all just shy teenagers. And I remember when I stepped on board first, I took a look around and saw all these people and thought, oh, I'm probably not going to be very good friends with all these people. But within two or three hours of originally stepping on board, I've made friends that are hopefully still friends for life. It was amazing. We have another gathering event called the Gathering at Sea. The
1: Astrid hadn't been to Ireland before, but 2013 was the year of the Gathering when the government was trying to entice people back to Ireland and a big cruise had been planned as part of the festival.
0: Where tall ships are coming to Ireland and bringing Irish and foreign people here to get involved in the gathering.
1: Over 100 boats from Ireland, the UK and further afield would congregate and form a flotilla in the south of Ireland. On the 15th of July, 2013, the Astrid set off from Southampton in the south of England.
2: The trip itself was out of this world from the whole coast of England and then sailing across the Irish Sea was like nothing you could ever dream of. It was just perfect weather, good crack, just easy going. The the sail across the Irish Sea is something I'll still hold close because you're, you're on this amazing vessel. Sailing across the ocean you can't see land anywhere. There was about a two-day stretch on the Irish Sea where we just had sail power because it was vast open ocean and it was just silence and just perfect lapping of waves was just unbelievable and it was just, it was blistering heat it was magical once you got on board it was clear that it was a very physical demanding holiday. Typically it was a routine of things where you, you woke up in the morning and you kind of had a briefing from the captain and crew depending on how the conditions were. We'd clean the main deck and then below deck and the common areas. So then the rest of the day was a lot of just being on watch and steering and then other people would just be kind of doing common jobs and then if you weren't on watch you were just kind of sitting around and reading or sunbathing.
1: Astrid and her 30 crew spent 10 days in the sunny south of England.
2: It took about three days of a crossing, Penzance all the way up to Cork City eventually. And it was just flat seas. It was perfect.
1: And then made their way to Ireland and the Irish weather.
2: Once we got to Ireland, really, the whole thing changed. I remember we were on watch as we were coming into Ireland and, you know, you got that snap of change that you went, oh, we're in Ireland now.
1: Christopher was one of 24 trainees and six crew on the boat.
2: We have always a professional. The real crew
3: on board for sail training, we do it together with the trainees. We let them do things from navigation, steering, weather forecasts, and when it is okay, they take over the ship, but we take a look every minute, and when it is not okay, then we do it. The safety at sea, you must have a good ship, and two, you must have a competent crew, and then it's not a problem. Safety at sea
0: is safety at sea. Report of the investigation into the loss of the sail-training passenger vessel STV Astrid on the 24th of but July... But despite
1: what Peter says, there were certain things that people on board were not aware of. Crew particulars.
0: The Master's Certificate of Competency expired on the 5th of June 2013. His qualifications did not meet with the requirements of the minimum safe manning document...
1: An official report <laughs> into what happened later found that Peter's and the crew's qualifications... Did not come up to the level that they should have been for the kind of vessel that the Astrid was. Neither
0: the master nor any of the crew members held the necessary qualifications for the manning of the STV Astrid.
1: On Tuesday, 23rd of July 2013, Astrid had reached Oysterhaven in Cork, and the next day would go on to the town of Kinsale. While the Astrid was safely anchored in Oysterhaven, that evening safety at sea was also on the minds of some guys in the town of Kinsale.
2: Over.
1: The local RNLI was carrying out an exercise.
2: Three personnel on board An exercise just out of the Boy over.
4: The evening beforehand, Tuesday evening, a major exercise in the harbour was
1: arranged. Phil Devitt is Kinsale's harbour master.
4: The RNLI, the Coast Guard, you had the Civil Defence, you had the Fire Brigade, the Red Cross, doctors, Gardaí. all of these people were, were coming together.
1: 38-year-old Jimmy Grennan has a day job in a nursing home as a maintenance manager.
5: We're volunteers, so we're given a pager once we're trained up to a certain level, and we have it 24-7, and if it it goes off, you, you just respond to it.
1: The Kinsale Lifeboat has 20 volunteers, all of whom train in their spare time. The World's End is a part of Kinsale on the edge of the harbour, with a history of smugglers, seamen and fishermen.
6: Born and bred, yeah, in the world's end originally, so... Which is... something like that.
1: Liam O'Connell is 46. He's on the water in a fishing boat called Harpy for most of the summer.
6: Fishing at the moment seasonal, taking out anglers and... Mm. Blue shark. In the
1: winter, you'll often find him reading the paper here in the snug of the Armada pub. He's always lived in Kinsale. Liam knows more than many the danger of the sea.
6: Last the a cousin then, and uncle, yeah, both drowned. Both fishing? Over the years, yeah.
1: Since he joined the lifeboat in 2003, he's been involved in nearly 150 rescues. Not that you would ever hear him boast about it.
6: My girlfriend, she always tells me I'm emotionally retarded or something, but. Does she have any idea how many people you've uh, brought home? I'm not sure. They don't really discuss it, like, you know. But I think anyone that does this, like a builder going out building a wall, you know.
1: In Oysterhaven, the gathering flotilla was all set to assemble and can sail for a welcome celebration of artisan foods and local music. With her two masts and her big square sails, Astrid was one of the stars of the flotilla. As local skipper Tom O'Leary recalls. The first time
7: I actually set eyes on her was the day before when she sailed into Oysterhaven harbour. She was a lovely old-style square-rigged vessel. She looked very attractive under sail. There was a flotilla. There were a lot of
3: little boats and ribs and things like that. They, they won't sail with us. So I went leaving to Kinsale early in the morning. It was not nice weather. It's raining and it's blowing the winters in, in the front of us. Well, not the nicest of days here in Cove this morning. We got
1: a Local Cork sailing legend Eddie English does the sailing forecast every morning on the internet.
3: Rain outside the harbour. We have plenty of wind due today.
1: All local sailors take notice of Eddie's forecast.
3: The, uh, ...strong southerly winds. So, again, we'd ask you please share this video and be careful out there afloat. Thank you.
1: Meanwhile, back on the Astrid, Christopher and the rest of the crew were getting ready for the day's sailing.
2: I was on watch from 12 until 4 that morning. You've got binoculars in your hands and you're watching out for other vessels on that morning, I could kind of plan the day ahead. I knew it was going to be a cold, kind of wet day.
1: But even though it was blustery and grey and rainy, it wasn't strictly dangerous weather for sailing.
3: The destination was Kinsale, there's a distance, maybe five miles, it's nothing.
1: The morning sail from Oysterhaven to Kinsale would take about two hours. And this morning, Peter, the asteroid and her young crew would have the company of the flotilla of smaller boats for the gathering. After an overnight in Oysterhaven, Peter and the crew of the Astrid made the checks on the boat at about 10 o'clock. This morning, the engine appeared to be OK.
3: We make our rounding on the engine room and things like that. as We control everything, what we're always doing. And everything was OK.
1: However, what Peter didn't mention was what Harbourmaster Phil Devitt heard, that there had in fact been some ongoing problems with the engine.
4: The vessel was anchored in Oysterhaven the night before, but I had heard that they were having problems with water in their fuel and I asked one of the lifeboat people, did they hear anything, that?" and he said that he was talking to one of the girls who said that they had to pump the fuel tank the night before because there was so much water in it.
1: And in fact, what a report from the Marine Casualty Investigations Board would later find was... On a previous voyage, on
0: or about the 12th of July 2013, whilst the vessel was in Brighton, fresh water was taken on board. The
1: water-filling hose was inadvertently placed into a fuel tank filler. The contaminated tank had been isolated after pumping the water out. By the time they got to Cork, they believed the tank to be safe to use again. At 11 o'clock, the crew weighed anchor and motored off into gloomy conditions to sail with the rest of the flotilla to Kinsale. The normal route for a ship like the Astrid would be to head out from the rocky coast to allow her plenty of time to raise her sails away from the dangers the land can bring.
3: So we're heaving the anchors and we go slowly out of the bay with two knots. This is nothing. And all the ships are around me, so this is okay. That was a nice view, I think. Then we go out of the bay and all the people are there. It's good as we're going away.
1: With journalists recording the flotilla, Peter was asked to follow the coastline so that photographs could be taken, and he agreed. Given that there had been problems with water and the fuel, Harbourmaster Phil thinks that this was risky behaviour.
4: If you're having that problem, you don't take the corner of a, a headland so close. You're going to make sure you're going out a couple of miles before you off the course. So to me, that, that was a big mistake.
1: While Peter and the astrid stayed quite close to the shore, Tom and the spirit of Oysterhaven decided to go out further south to go around a rocky outcrop called the Sovereign Islands. My
7: intentions were to go outside the Sovereign's and then tack and head straight for Kinsale. The Astrid and the other small boats had just gone out of Oysterhaven and turned right and were following the coastline fairly close into the shore.
1: Peter motored slowly out of Oysterhaven and turned the corner to Consale, doing three knots, about three and a half miles per hour. Less than 200 metres from the cliffs, at a treacherous place known as Hangman's Point, Peter started to hoist his sails.
3: We are going uh, around the corner, we are 200-300 metres from the coast and we go, but the wind is blowing to the coast. Now we are around the corner, we are setting sails, we are sailing a little bit. Okay, when we are around the next corner to Kinsale, then we can set the square sails, that is nice when we come in and we have all the sails up.
1: An old boat like the Astrid is very different to modern boats, which are much easier to manoeuvre. With big square sails, they need the wind to be blowing in the right direction to use these sails. Peter was relying on the engine, plus a few small sails to get him around the corner and into Kinsale. But at that moment, the engine spluttered and died.
3: Then we have a blackout in the engine room, so it's first uh, stopping the generator, shit, was dead. That? Okay, that's shit happened. And then the, the main engine is also
2: stopping, so hey, that's not okay. I'd just woken up to go back on watch. And I remember getting up and getting myself ready for watch and I was putting on my wet weather gear and just as I was getting it all out of the bag just before I'd gotten out of my room to come up was when it kind of cut out because I remember I was talking to one of my other watch members and then all of a sudden we went, oh, the engines have stopped. I heard stamping footsteps and the one thing that kind of sticks to my mind was if we were actually moving from uh, mooring to mooring you always knew that the engines were going and you could definitely hear them. And that's what kind of struck me on that day, was it was kind of silent, which I found I found strange because I knew that the, the conditions weren't favourable to have winds in the direction we were going. One of the crew members came down and they said, we need everyone up on deck, there's an emergency. When I came upstairs, that's when it struck me that there was probably something serious going on. Because the, the predominant crew was Dutch, they were talking in Dutch, so you didn't really know what was going on until they said there's an engine problem. We were told put on the life jackets and help put the sails up because at that stage we were slowly starting to drift towards the rocks.
1: With no engine to rely on, Peter and the crew frantically tried to hoist the sails that might get them away from the rocks, which were now perilously close. But the direction the wind was coming from meant that the sails were of no use to them.
3: We're setting more sails. What we can set, we do. And say, OK, we try to go away from the rocks. And uh, we doing, I think, two knots. Lousy, not enough speed to turning her around in the wind and sailing away.
1: So then I think, OK, I put my anchors inside. One of the most important safety items on any boat is the anchor. Everything stops with an anchor. You can fix an engine, mend a sail, call for help. But your ship is going nowhere with your anchor dropped. Phil Devitt, the harbour master, knows the importance of an anchor.
4: The second mistake was when he was in trouble, given the fact that he was at anchor all night, so the anchor was quite fresh in the pipe when, they, when they'd take it in. Why didn't he drop the anchor? You know, um, it was always, always drummed into us if in doubt, get it out. That was always the phrase. So if you're in doubt, drop the anchor. And why he didn't, I I have no idea.
1: This is something that has confused me. Why didn't he drop the anchor? It seems to me disaster could have been averted. I read this report, thoroughly, obviously, and the first question I couldn't answer from it Mm. was dropping the anchor. Mm -hmm. I don't know. The people
3: can help me, and I can sail away, and then I don't need my anchors. But if you drop your anchor... You can sort all the problems. Uh, yeah, then I can solve the problems. When she is
1: holding, Yeah, yeah when the anchor is holding, yeah, OK. But there's a good chance she will hold. I don't know. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. If you were alone that day, there was no flotilla, mm. there's no photographers, there's no rib, there's anything like that, would you have dropped the anchor then? Yep. Yeah, directly. It seems that Peter thought that the other boats in the vicinity would manage to get him off the rocks, and he focused his attention on that. Particularly when one of them a large inflatable with a powerful engine came nearby. Peter saw an opportunity to get the Astor away from the rocks.
3: There's a big rip with a 95-horsepower engine is coming, so I said, OK, he, he can help me. I asked the man, can you help me a little bit? Because the, he asked me, are you in trouble? I said, yes, I am in trouble because I have only sails and we are a little bit near to the rocks there and uh, we're blowing to the rocks and that's not OK. And I said, yeah, I can help you. He said, put your boat on the front turn around through the wind, and then I can sail away from the rocks. Yeah, I say, I I can try that. Then he go very slow, too slow for me, because you see the rocks there. I was 300 metres and 200 metres and 150 metres, and okay. and then I said, okay, push now,
1: yeah? According to the Marine Investigations Report, the RIB tried to help, but was becoming swamped with water, so they had to abandon the attempt.
3: Then he said, I don't do that why you don't do that? Because it is a simple, uh, push her away and it's gone. No, then I damaged my rib. I said, I buy a new one for you. You give me the old one and I buy a new one with a new engine. Oh, and he looked at me, are you crazy or something? Between that was a fishing boat, also a big fishing boat with a big engine. This I called him on the radio, said, can you take a line of me and you put my bow to the wind and then I can sail away. No, 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 I don't do that, too dangerous. So, hello, That's not dangerous. But you don't do that.
2: Too dangerous, he said. We were being pushed by the current. It was a good half an hour period where you were just slowly drifting. We got into a kind of a position where we just said, OK, this, this isn't working. So that's when we kind of braced up against the side of the, the boat.
6: The dramatic events started unfolding just before 12 o'clock
1: when the Astrid, with 30 crew on board, had engine failure. It was clear that the boat was now in serious trouble. But Peter did not issue the gravest of distress signals, the mating. Organisation,
0: organization, we have a problem. Organisation, organization. This is the operating vessel Astrid. Our engine has stopped. Our engine has stopped. Can you help us, please? No
1: further information was received from the STV Astrid by radio. Tom, on the spirit of Oysterhaven, heard the call over the radio.
7: I alerted my crew and we immediately started taking down the sails to try and render what assistance we could. It probably took us nearly ten minutes then to get the sails down and to get into a position where we were relatively close but safe enough off the asteroid.
1: The towering cliff face of Hangman's Point is menacing at the best of times but despite the razor sharp rocks and stormy seas Peter trusted his ship was built strong enough to endure a collision.
3: We are, we are too near to the rocks. Uh, okay, put all the sails away. When, and then you think, okay, as it is a very strong ship. This, uh, she can have uh, two, three, 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 three times the rocks. This, she can have it. So, But then not with a lot of speed. There's also not with uh, two knots. This we reduce all the sails. We do all the sails down. And then uh, I said to all the trainees, this is not good. We do the collision uh, drill. And then we're hitting the rocks uh, for the first time. And
2: uh, Yeah, then you think, okay... In that period where we were up against the rocks, that was the most daunting part where you kind of went, okay, this could be very bad. You'd go down into a swell and feel the boat kind of go out and you thought you'd get away and then another wave would come in and smack you straight back into the rocks. It was quick that the boat wouldn't even have time to lock back up so you'd get waves crashing in over you and that was kind of the kind of daunting experience where you thought, okay, one of these is going to take us out at some stage.
1: Just before midday, on Wednesday the 23rd of July 2013, the lifeboat men's pagers went off. Up to 20 people would have had their pagers go. That morning, three of them were going about their business in Kinsale. They got to the lifeboat station within about seven minutes.
5: When I was talking to my father, it was just, I just I called up.
1: Nikki Searles.
5: I didn't say anything to him, I just left, you know, as, as per usual. And um, it's not really a conversation, like it's obvious enough when it goes off.
6: I was walking the dog around town. Liam O'Connell. The pager went off. And just so happened, the cousin came along in the care So, dog and I, whole lot into the care and straight down to the station.
1: And Jimmy Grennan, who happened to be three of the most experienced lifeboat men amongst the volunteers. Harbour Master Phil saw the lifeboat leave.
4: I was on the pier at 12 o'clock. And I saw the lifeboat going out fairly quickly, so I knew there was some emergency, but I assumed at the time that it was probably some yacht that had come adrift or or got caught up in some fishing net or something like that.
1: The distress call was so vague that nobody had any idea what they were going out to try to rescue. Most rescues would involve fewer than five people on board a boat in trouble.
5: We didn't realise the scale of it until we were on the way out on the radio when... The Coast Guards said the number of people. No one said anything about the tall ship, as far as I can remember, while we were launching.
1: Nikki, Liam and Jim were on an inshore lifeboat designed for a quick response, but where space for casualties is limited.
5: As we were just coming past uh, Hangman's Point, then we heard um, that there was 30 people. got the information saying there's 30 people on board, and we kind of looked at each other, without saying anything for a few seconds. And then Nick said, I'll never forget this, Nick said, he kind of just thought about it for a second and then looked at us and said, we'll take them all. Like
6: we knew we couldn't carry 30 people on our boat, like, but the plan was just get half them off, transfer them and go and get the other half.
2: You saw the lifeboat. It was like the clouds parted and you saw the hand stretching down. There was this orange thing lapping over the water going at top speed, just racing towards you.
1: Not only was the astronaut in a very perilous situation, but the lifeboat itself was in danger. Bringing any boat this close to the cliffs is dangerous at the best of times, but the approach was now littered with ropes and canvas and gas bottles, things that will kill your propeller on contact.
5: I think it was Nick again said, okay, I'll go aboard and we'll get them off. The conditions were quite rough, so we, you know, got the nose in close and then had to attempt once or twice. The waves are coming in behind you, so sort they're of pushing you into danger. So the danger is that your boat gets flipped over beside it. So yeah, you're in you're in a in a bad position, really. So every wave that came could have come and washed us in on top of their boat. So the boat handling on airboat had to be on the ball to stay off. But Liam was in control. Yeah, he kept the boat in great position.
6: It swelled like Jesus. Sometimes you're six or seven feet below and then you're up over looking down at them. Like they weren't too keen to be jumping off either, you know.
1: The three lifeboat men manoeuvred their boat into the vicinity of the jagged rocks. Every wave driving the asteroid harder onto the rocks and the angle the tall ship was taking meant that capsize was an immediate possibility. Meanwhile, the lifeboat was being tossed about by the waves and the swell, and they knew the time was not on their side. The asteroid was sinking fast.
3: The RNLI asked me, what can I do for you? So now <clears throat> maybe you can take my trainees and bring her to another ship. So they, the first six, seven persons uh, jump in that boat, but that was dangerous.
2: You did have the kind of uh, an odd hysterical moment of. From some people but we were all kind of kept strong together.
1: The lifeboat men made it look easy but John O'Gorman knows the skill that it took to keep everything under control.
4: To manoeuvre a seven and a half meter boat with 150 horsepower behind you in a big swell takes experience and keeping everybody calm that nobody runs away with themselves and decides to be brave and I'll try swim ashore and suddenly maybe somebody would and somebody else would as well follow like sheep and that could have been detrimental because you'd had a lot of debris in the water, you'd had a lot of sail, canvas and rope in the water. Then you have a different scenario, rescuing people from the water, whereas we were taking people from a stranded vessel, which was very
0: nearly breaking up.
3: The rip is coming up over my ship, so and then going down, and
1: then when he is down, they're jumping in. Nicky managed to get on board the Astrid and started the job of getting people off.
5: I had my mind made up when I was getting on it, and the lads knew as well that they were all coming off, and that was it. Took the first 12 off
1: into the lifeboat they
7: were
2: unceremoniously flung into the lifeboat as it went alongside for brief seconds when they said okay you're next where there's not it's just a you, they, I remember he kind of took me up and he He brought me over to where they were putting us onto the lifeboat. He said, Okay, jump. And I kind of had that moment of going, Oh no. And he just went, Doom. And you smack onto the deck of the lifeboat. And you went, Oh, okay. I met him a month afterwards. And he said, Oh, I think I remember pushing you off. I'm sorry. But uh, you kind of knew that if you weren't going to go, they're going to have to make you go.
1: The lifeboat was too small to take everybody. So the lifeboat men had to take them off in batches, transferring people to other boats. like the spirit of Oysterhaven, that had come to help out.
7: They were all cold and wet. There were a couple of the kids who were fairly traumatised. We got all the children down below and tried to get them warm, tried to get some cups of tea into them. The conditions were bad enough, that people getting seasick and that kind of thing.
2: They lifted me and the French guys and the two English people. They took us over to the spirit of Oysterhaven. The spirit of Oyster Haven just got us out and took us to in
6: One of the RNLI rescue boats that took part came from Court McSherry, which is about
1: 35 minutes away.
4: When we arrived, the seas were in nasty conditions enough. I think it's an absolute miracle that you have a situation like that and you get 30 people to literally walk away from that sort of a disaster and without partly a scratch. It's possibly unheard
3: of.
1: All the trainees and crew were now off the Astrid. Except for one person, Captain Peter de Cam. The way the Astrid was now in the water, broken and sinking, it was obvious to everyone that there was little hope left for saving the boat.
3: I was lost (coughs) on my ship. Then you think, okay, yeah, what shall I do? Shall I stay here or. Did you really think that? Yeah, 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 that I thought about it. And then all my uh, trainees, they. Jilling to me captain you must come now so okay back to my navigation room because uh, i must take a look around what i have forgot or things like that they have nothing eh? they have only the clothes on what they have only a t-shirt and one pants and that's it and uh, then i i pick oh yeah so okay my my red backpack i paid to visit all my papers in this i was the only one they have all the, my papers so my passport and so and then i jump also in
1: and that was the last that Peter saw of the asteroid before she sank to the rocky seabed off Kinsale.
3: one time looking to my Astrid sinking and the rocks on the bottom, which is very bad. Isn't?
1: Peter was mourning the loss of his beloved boat. Meanwhile, the lifeboat men were relieved that they had managed to get everybody off the sinking boat.
4: There was pots of tea flying in all directions, inundated with kindness. It was quite traumatic. It was over very quickly and everybody uh, came home safely, we were so proud.
2: You kind of have those moments where you think that could have been a lot worse, but um, I think it was, it was down to the, the lifeboat guys that came along that really, they were like your knight in shining armour almost, or knights in yellow wellies.
1: A major sigh of relief in these parts that a terrible tragedy was averted.
2: The, the day after we travelled up to Dublin to get the, the international crew home, It was kind of an emotional couple of days.
1: With the trainees all safely home, Peter stayed around Kinsale in an effort to get his boat back, all the while liaising with Harbourmaster Phil.
4: He did spend a number of weeks here in a mobile van here, parked on the pier. But most of that time was really trying to conduct... The, the situation with the, with the vessel, if it could be saved, if it wasn't going to be saved, where it was going to be salvaged, how much he was going to get for it, um, all of those things uh, was preoccupying his mind and, and, and not, nothing else.
1: It wasn't just Peter hoping that the Astrid could be saved. The rescue had been a positive story in that all the people had been taken off safely. But in the maritime town of Kinsale, there was a sadness about this boat that remained floundering out there on the rocks. Tom, from the Spirit of Oysterhaven, could see it happening before his eyes.
7: Everybody in Kinsey had some kind of ownership of the wreck. It was very much a talking point. With Spirit of Oysterhaven, we were passing back and forth past the wreck almost on a daily basis. And to see her deteriorating on the rocks was heartbreaking.
1: Over the next few weeks, the condition of the boat deteriorated and it became obvious that there would be no salvage and no saving this hundred-year-old tall ship.
4: The uh, inspectors that and surveyors that came and looked at it said it was too badly damaged underneath to do anything with it. She was a very old vessel, and they said there is only one thing they could do with it. You know, it's a bit like a dying dog; you have to put it down. Because it was so close here, this is where it came in. It was towed into and it was cut up. Uh, right in front of our eyes over the weekend the
1: town fell a few days afterwards I can remember very strongly that it was it was a very happy story like the town embraced the answer. yes yeah.
4: and, and I think uh, I, I suppose because everybody got off everybody was saved I mean there was no casualties uh, the only casualty was the ship and, and then to end up in a, a scrapyard in Euross you know because uh, that's where it went eventually I know it was cut up here but uh, that's what the insurers wanted.
7: And then when she was ultimately recovered and brought into town and slung up on the quayside and cut up, it was, it was heartbreaking. She was cut up.
1: Two years later, the Marine Casualty Investigation Board released their final report into the sinking of the Astrid.
2: Human error has been blamed for the sinking of the tall ship, the Astrid, which went aground off the south coast near Kinsale in July 2013 and led to the rescue of 30 people.
0: A report by the Marine Casualty Investigation Board found a loss of power from the main engine caused by water contamination of the fuel was the main reason the ship went aground and subsequently sank.
1: Peter is not happy that the report lays the blame at his feet. You read the Marine Investigation Report...
3: So yeah, she's just were you happy with that? No, of no. course not. Because okay. they, I, I was on the quay in Kinsale and the man is coming to me and says, you must go away. Said, okay. But for the first time, of, uh, it was not a good uh, conversation because he, he was so angry on me and so,
1: so the discussions... This, it is not, but not, park not, that for a moment. Park the person. And if you look at the report, what did you think of the report? Now,
3: the report is writing the that man And it is exactly what he is, yeah? How do you know things that you say to me now? I was there, not you.
1: The insurance money for the sinking barely covered the salvage costs and Peter was left penniless.
3: I cannot uh, buy a new boat. There's, There's no money.
1: Peter's tall ship dream sank with the asteroid and now he has started a sawmills. He is once more building in timber. He has no plans to build a wooden boat.